Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Spurs in full cry here. Look at Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy and my isolating friend, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. Hello, Windy. Dark times, boys. Very dark times. Nathan, you pretty much predicted this. Uh, uh, yeah, not like, <laughs> not in any way that should be impressive, just that, like, I went away and read some stuff before it was on the news, basically. How are you bearing up, mate? Um, you know, uh, as you will know from trying to organise a time for recording the podcast, I'm keeping myself socially busy you without are. leaving the house. Blimey, so I am you are. Skyping friends for dinner, and I am uh, doing games nights with friends, and I'm taking part in um, politics over the internet uh, in a sort of a, a, a voice chat kind of way, and uh, even dates <laughs> online as well. So, you know, there's a lot going on, and I think that that is the way to do it, to keep that sort of regularity, that sort of um, social anticipation and experience mm. um, through through the online, however you can. I think that's the way to go. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I've done a couple of games nights already. I've played online poker with friends twice, yeah. um, which has been good. It's been good fun. Um, I had a really bad experience over the weekend. I had a call from my mum on Sunday morning to say that my dad was really unwell and she, she thought he had the virus. My dad's been healthy for pretty much my whole life until uh, just before Christmas where he had pneumonia. So the thought of him having the virus was absolutely terrifying and, you know, I was essentially spending the whole of the Sunday contemplating the death of my father and I just felt absolutely horrendous all day, just like worried sick. Um, I mean, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but luckily it seems like he's got a recurrence of pneumonia, which is sort of a lesser of two evils, which is crazy to say, but um, he's making a sort of slow but sure recovery, touch wood, and seems to be a lot better today. But it's just, it, it felt all too real and obviously the um the media the constant discussion around this virus just brings it it, it makes it so sort of um oppressive it's yeah. everything around us is coronavirus and we're stuck inside because of coronavirus and the whole normality of daily life is different because of coronavirus so you can't help but think of anything you know, that is just on your mind constantly um uh-huh. and it's tough it's really tough buddy how are you finding things I'm busier now than I've ever busy uh, ever been in, in most of my working life. I work in internal comms, and as you can imagine, trying to um, trying to talk to two, three thousand people who are now scattered across the country, stuck in in bedrooms and in kitchen tables, and worrying about what's going to happen in the charity industry and everything else like that. It's I've got a lot of comms to get through and a lot of people to try and talk to and reach. So it's I'm, I'm pretty busy, man. Keep are you, me busy. Are you, are you feeling the pressure from that? Yeah, I've um, I'll be getting a a salary cut 
from May for the next three, four months and to try and kind of um, fight back against, we've got just no income coming in mm. because everything shuts, no events, no shops, um, very low fundraising. So, but it's good to join both of you guys here for to talk about a victory, which is something that hasn't happened for a while for Tottenham. Yeah, absolutely. So what we're going to do, and this is Bardi's idea, so he gets full credit. Uh, <laughs> and I don't think, I know you, Wendy. It, also, if it doesn't work, it was it was Bardi's idea. <laughs> so I see you. It's going to work really well. It's, uh, mm. Do you know what? Okay, I'll introduce the topic and then I'll say what my initial thoughts were on this. So yep. we, we're going to talk about uh, our 5-1 win against Chelsea in the second leg of the League Cup semi-final from 2002. Is that all correct? Yep. Yep. Uh, when you initially um, mentioned this idea, I was very sceptical. I was like, why would anyone want us to talk about this? It's just a game from nearly 20 years ago. Um, you guys said, watch the game. Have you know, We've mm. provided a link. Watch it. Make some notes. See what you think. I loved it. I absolutely loved watching this game back. It was so much fun. Um, it, uh, yeah, there's a few things that I'm sure will come out in our conversations around this, around how football's changed. But the game itself was a banger from a Spurs perspective. Really, really yep. um, enjoyable watch from start to finish. Um, so do you want to start by taking us through the teams, Bardi? Yeah, so um, Spurs Spurs at, at the time in 2002, I don't know if many people were familiar with Spurs back then, but we'd normally go with um, with Casey Keller, who was like our starting goalkeeper. Um, we had just signed Dean Richards, who was like our main kind of centre-back, who was cup-tied for this. So we were we changed our first-choice goalkeeper. Dean Richards was cup-tied, and our main kind of number nine at the time was Les Ferdinand, who was out with concussion. So um, Spurs went to, which which I always find interesting, went switched to a 3-5-2 with Sullivan in goal, a back three of Chris Perry, Ledley King, Anthony Gardner. Our wing backs that evening were Simon Davies, who's naturally right footed, was playing on the left. No, 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 he played on the right. Oh, sorry, playing yep. on the right. That's correct. And Tariko playing on the left, who was um, very two footed. We had a heavyweight midfield of Gus Poye, um, an old Gus Poye, Tim Sherwood, and Darren Anderton. And then our two up front were Teddy Sheringham and Everson stepping in for Les Ferdinand. So, what was interesting as well about the wing backs is that they were both second choice at the time. Um, we, we had Stephen Carr, who was a fantastic uh, fullback who, who often played wing back under Glenn Hoddle, and then Christian Zieger on the left, who was you know fantastic uh player with great pedigree wasn't in his absolute prime when he was at Spurs I would say we didn't really necessarily see his his best form but he was a very good player so Davis and Tariko was second choice but were very prominent in this game it was classic hoddle the 352 um the other thing that I noticed which was interesting was Everson very much led the line in the role that you would have expected Les Ferdinand to do was Sheringham who was in his second spell at Spurs and a bit older playing more of a sort of tip of a midfield diamond almost with Sherwood at the base Anton to the right Poyet to the left and Mm -hmm. that was interesting because it was something we saw under Pochettino as well and Nathan what did you make when you saw that team selection did any of those players sort of did you think did you have preconceptions of those players basically um (laughs) I I, I don't know how much you want me to jump ahead essentially but like uh, my perception of Tim Sherwood is as the idiot of a coach (laughs) that he is and the way he talks in public and his um the way he verbalizes his conception of football in a very uh you know brutish yep. unsophisticated uh and frankly you know very insular and pretty dumb way um which is 
not so much what was reflected in the game. And it's also interesting that, like, he sort of fairly infamously spoke about how, like, uh, Makaleli destroyed football with, yeah. <laughs> like, inventing the number six role, as if that's at all what happened. Um, so I guess that was one of my sort of preconceived notions. I, I found it interesting that uh, Anderton played in a central role, although that's something I want to come back to later. Um and I was surprised that uh, Ben Davies was still playing football back then. <laughs> this was um, an interesting Chelsea team selection as well, Bardi. They mm-hmm. had a very young John Terry at the back. Uh, alongside him, Marcel Desailly, who obviously was an excellent player. Uh, we'll talk a little, I'm sure, about his performance in this game, but it was not good. Uh, they had William Gallas at left back, who obviously mm-hmm. later joined Spurs. Uh, wasn't renowned as a left back, was more of a centre back at the time, but did play left back a fair bit uh, Mario Milkier on the right and then talk us through the midfield body it was um, quite a cumbersome midfield the, the the striking thing about Chelsea was the the distinct lack of pace there was a midfield of Mario Stanich Frank Lampard um, Emmanuel Petit and Boulevard Zenden who, who at the time was quite a coup for them to mm. sign but I, I never really rated I never really liked the cut of his jib so that was that was their midfield and it was it was Petit coming off the back of um, quite a few injuries and then playing in front of them was Good Johnson who also came to Spurs and had quite a good successful loan spell alongside Hasselbank who um, I kind of forgot about Hasselbank how dangerous he was but the way the commentators would refer to him the way everybody kind of held their breath when he yeah. when he got the ball thirty yards out just reminds you that he could he could properly spank it and he was a fearsome striker a fearsome number nine indeed and interestingly he took the set pieces also he was sort of mm. seen as a dead ball specialist corners free kicks anything uh, so yeah that that intrigued me as well because he's a player who was very good in the air could easily have been on the end of those things but was seen as so good uh, from those dead ball scenarios it is worth taking him out of the box um, Spurs absolutely fly out the blocks. In this game they were terrific in the opening exchanges and Tariko got joy down the left twice and we score from one of those forays forward when and it's lovely Stephanieson punishes John Terry who's dallying on the ball uh we, I mean looking back now that is a glorious thing to see Terry dallying in his own box and Everson sort of nabbing a goal from that situation and I think that um the fr- we started really quickly of course but getting that early goal after a couple of minutes must have really relaxed the players because they certainly played in a relaxed way um the other thing that struck me in the opening exchanges as quite interesting was that in Hoddle's 3-5-2 the right and left sided centre backs took the throw-ins which is something you don't see quite so mm. much of hmm. in, in modern uh, back threes or back fives normally it's the wing back that takes the throws did, did that stand out to you Nathan? Yeah I, I was um, yeah that, that that kind of threw me a little bit because I essentially I think that like a team trying to do that would probably be punished pretty often for that now I think that that is simply a that's just a, a situation where it's um, just a linear improvement of like if you push forward like a wide centre back like that on a set piece the other team are going to turn the ball over and, 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 and make you pay for it I think right you know? okay so you, you see that as a sort of uh, something because it was a novel formation it worked yeah. but perhaps wouldn't work now 
I th- I think so. I think so. Uh, n- not not with an absolute certainty, but I I struggle to imagine that working mm. out now. Okay, interesting. And Nathan, what did you think of the um the back three? So I don't know how much you knew about uh, Anthony Gardner and Chris Perry. You're a little younger than Bardi and I, um, yeah. but Chris Perry sort of he was renowned as being a really good man marker, but he plays kind of a sweeper role in this formation yeah. with King to his right and Gardner to his left. Both uh, very front foot players want to come out and, and win the ball and then pass forward um what do you make of that trio so uh i was at ledley king's testimonial and perry played then so i uh, sort of made the assumption that he was held in like at least moderate esteem in mm. order to have been like selected for that so that was my only real perception of perry um yeah he, he, yeah like you said he swept up um I, I was fairly well impressed with that and then gardner is someone who i've i maybe sort of a couple of times seen him mentioned on twitter in pretty negative light and mm. i thought mm. considering that he was he did he you know he looks fine which is which is quite unfair on anthony gardner because he was he was a bit of a prospect he and was, yeah. when he first broke through there was real hope for the for the king and um gardner partnership and in this uh-huh. game I, I i thought he played really well he covered mm. um he covered his rampage in fullback very well um I mean, it was quite interesting that Chelsea had nobody playing in the kind of spaces in between the lines. Like these days, we're obsessed with yeah. people work operating in those, operating in those half spaces. I don't even think it was a term back then, and it was very clear gaps in the pitch. And King and Gardner would just move into it, pick up the ball, and stop um, Hasselbank and Good Johnson, who, who was a very good link man, from getting anywhere. And Perry was always there, available for it, almost like a get out ball. If Spurs were under pressure, mm. hit it back to Kerry he Perry he was obviously rubbish on the ball and it would just go straight back to the keeper but it was um it was quite it was quite a cunning move by um by Sherwood to put his free his free men his free centre-backs up against two very dangerous centre-backs indeed and you know one of the stars of the game undoubtedly was Teddy Sheringham and in the first sort of 10 minutes he's doing everything he's winning headers mm. he's playing far, first time passes and then he absolutely two foot Bolo Zenden uh, with <laughs> a real savage challenge which like t- cuts his cu- cuts his leg open quite badly to the extent where he has to go off injured and yep. my initial thought was that is definitely getting punished in the modern game I don't think it was even called as a foul no but, um, it wasn't it they the commentators almost were like cheering it on like yeah. good 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 honest tackle good passionate derby tackle so Zenden goes off and Chelsea bring on Sam Dalabona do you remember him Bardi mm. the Italian kid yeah of course he was he was quite the prospect but he he was tipped to have a good career but um, him coming on really does kind of disjoint Chelsea for a bit because he's he's a central midfielder and Zenden's a wide man and you could see there's a, there's a lot of confusion in their midfield they don't know where to go Lamp Lampard doesn't won't doesn't feel comfortable moving wide. Petit, with those, his old legs by then, doesn't feel comfortable, and, and um, Spurs really do capitalise on that lack of movement in their midfield, which is weird considering our midfield contained um, two one veteran and one kind of um, broken footballer. I uh, I watched this game with my dad because I wanted to sort of um, sort of capture like uh, the experience of watching a game live. Um, I was kind of, to be honest, I was kind of dreading this a little bit because I don't have too fond an impression of football from like before <laughs> 2010. Basically, um, I sort of 
I I I went so for the recent Rooney video I did I went back to watch some 2003 2004 clips and I found an Arsenal Chelsea game um, from back then and it was just impossible to watch and I posted a minute long clip of it on mm. YouTube and it absolutely blew up <laughs> all over Twitter with people going wow this is what football used to be yeah. you know nostalgia goggles all of that kind of commentary especially Liverpool fans who who, who really like to rub it in so I was kind of dreading watching this uh, and so I decided to watch it with my dad and he was um like <laughs> doing what he always does which is complaining to the ref about the decisions <laughs> that he's making which is ridiculous enough when you're watching the game at home and it's a live game and it's like well the ref can't hear you so I wouldn't worry about it but more even even more so when it was 20 years ago <laughs> and it doesn't really matter anymore but he was getting irate and he was saying well look the ref's called that up but he hasn't called this up so it's inconsistent <laughs> I'm just laughing at that like don't worry this game's probably going to work out alright for us and the referee is, is is Mark Holsey, who um, basically looks the same, I thought. He hadn't really aged a great deal since then. Um, just a little less hair. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sher- Sheringham's done Zenden. Dalabon has come on into midfield. He's Zenden started on the left. Dalabon plays in the middle. So Chelsea have had a bit of a reshuffle. Um, I mentioned that Sheringham was one of the stars. And within in the first 20 minutes, one of the other key players is Tim Sherwood, who is constantly able to find space in the middle of mm. a very congested pitch because his movement is is so intelligent and he's just keeping things ticking over he's linking plays he's finding yeah. cool passes he's doing everything you'd want from an elite level sort of holding midfielder and it's him who he scores the second goal which is an absolute belter um it's the Anderton Sheringham corner which many people will remember fondly Anderton would pick out the run of Sheringham towards the edge of the sort of six yard box and or a little bit further out and Sheringham would rife for the first time shot in at goal well this time Sheringham's kind of a decoy and Sherwood makes that that movement and hits it first time and it's such a sweet hit body isn't that's it that's interesting yeah and it, and it, it came the, we won the corner because it was it was a, a long ball into Sheringham who managed um, to flick it down and Poye has a fantastic uh, kind of sliding volley very like Lamella style on the floor volley from from distance which forces the corner and yeah, I in my head I always thought it was Sheringham that scored this goal, and when I went back and watched it, I was I was shocked to see it was Sherwood because I don't know my memory just said that's a Anderton Sheringham corner, and uh, yeah, I think I think with Sher- with Sherwood, um, Nathan mentioned it already. We've forgotten that this was like a Premier League winning captain footballer who did get yeah. I think he got a couple of caps for England, and it's a shame. Well, it's not a shame; he's an idiot, but um, oh. his his career has been has been kind of tarnished by by his mouth in in later years. So Anderton, who makes the assist for that goal, uh, ends up getting man of the match. And I I think rightly so. What was interesting is this is Anderton in the sort of towards the end of his career. And Anderton, for much of his Spurs career, was known as sick note. He could barely string games together. He was always seen as this young player who, if he could just get fit, would be a star. Mm. He was great for England, particularly in Euro 96. Uh, And the interesting thing is in this game, it's his 30th of the season. And that's the first time in sort of two or three years that he's managed to put together 30 games in the season. And he's playing kind of really quite athletic box-to-box role he's he's kind of getting up and down the pitch really well um nathan what did you make of anderton having probably not seen him a great deal so uh i spoke with anderton oh. a couple of years ago and i asked him about this 
sort of exact thing, which is that he was primarily known as a winger and his crossing game, but he also played a few games in central midfield. So I asked him about... Uh, well, I, it was under the lens of asking him about how would he perform in modern football given his sort of positional versatility, but he spoke to me about playing in the middle of the pitch and he said, when you're a winger, you, you're starved of the ball. When you finally get it, you sort of... You're caught in between, well, I'd better do something dramatic with it I better really make a difference because I might not see the ball again for ages and then if that doesn't pay off then you you're costing your team and now it's going to be even longer before you see the ball whereas he says if you play central midfield you get plenty of touches you get plenty of time to wait for a good moment to take a risk versus you know playing it safe mm. half the time as well and and that was really underlined in this match so <laughs> what something that really uh sort of shocked me about this match is like how uh able I was to sort of read it tactically I thought that is something that I would have like a great difficulty with but essentially the the wing backs were constantly free for us arriving yeah. late in the final third mm. so um it looks like it was the Chelsea wingers duty to to track the wing backs runs and they just they they were clearly uncomfortable or not used to it or just not up to it at all because all uh, the our first three goals all come from moves Ooh. where um yeah where where the wing back arrives we we play up one side of the pitch whether we play long or short and then it goes to Anderton who just pings it perfectly on a play into the path of the wing back on the opposite side and Chelsea are are absolutely lost for for that it's a dream scenario really for Anderton having wing backs on either side to pick out <laughs> goal is an absolute beauty uh it starts off with a kind of hoofed clearance from uh, neil sullivan Sheringham flicks it on Tariko kind of holds the ball up on the left he finds anderton who in, who picks out poyet and poyet was not a great player at this point in his career he was okay. kind of over the hill but he what he did have was a terrific awareness of those around him and yeah. he he lays off this what looks like an impossible layoff but he finds Sheringham with the most perfect layoff and Sheringham just like slices through the ball deliberately and uh hits the corner i think perhaps carlo cudicini in goal should have done better with that but it's a it's a sexy looking goal because of the the pass random layoff from poyet and then the way that Sheringham hits it. Um, Bardi, you've you've mentioned here that uh, the way Teddy plays here is quite reminiscent of Kane at times. Do you think that is something that we could see from Kane in the future, this kind of link role and then popping up on the edge of the box? Yeah, definitely. I think Sheringham was always a player that never had, um, he never had the legs and it was a criticism that was often thrown at him. But in this game, his, his first of all, his intensity, because that move starts. Yes, it's a long ball, but it's a it's a it's a long ball which he outmuscles John Terry, and it's a it's not just a, a flick on. It's a very intelligent kind of sideways header, which yeah. which he did throughout his career at Tottenham. He was he was an amazing header of the ball, and just the way that he would drop deep off the off the main man. He had players running alongside him. You could you could almost see um, that that is Kane, and then player running off him is Delhi, and mm. it's a com- mm. it's a combination that we've seen many times these days. And watching this game and the way players were moving off him I think as Kane's ankles or just his body stops him from mm. being a player that will run in behind this is this is a, a real role model for him and the the goal is brilliant it's um it's long ball f- it's long hoofed football but then once we've got into their opposition half it's very smart Tariko Anderton combining well mm. and um I mean if you watch if you watch it back 
the the moment Poye kind of runs from deep and it's it just sums up Tottenham perfectly in this game that intensity to get bodies forward and just attack attack and keep going for it because you know we we we're, we're Spursy and even though we're winning on aggregate the game could change quite quickly and I think this Tottenham team we couldn't rely on defence we had to keep going keep going and almost bury Chelsea and um, this goal was a this goal was it was a beautiful thing and I think they still show it in on the big screen at White Hart Lane now that's that's how good a goal it was. So this was uh, not long after half time. The the first leg of this tie was two one to Chelsea. So this puts mm. us ahead for the first time, and we're then hugely helped by a case of mistaken identity, which leads to Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank being sent off instead of Mario Melchior. Now this is interesting because in commentary, Ron Atkinson uh, makes a comment about video <laughs> replays um, and and how he would be in favour of video replays uh, to correct in. Like this, which I thought I, I found that really fascinating. Sort of thinking, eighteen years ago, this was a talking point. Nathan, did that stand out yeah. to you as well? It's uh, it's a slow moving process, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it's almost embarrassing seeing the referee give the red card to the wrong player. Sheringham's sort of saying to the ref as well. You know, this isn't a sending off offence. He gets a sort of push in, in the face, and you, you kind of get the impression that the players are trying to correct the referee's decision because Chelsea mm-hmm. are going to lose their key man, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, who's probably the one player who could. Get get them back into the game um whereas Mario Melchior was you know he's a right back they need a right back but he's, he's nothing compared to Hasselbank they'd have much rather have lost Melchior um yep. so I was surprised that no one sort of stepped in and just corrected that awful mistake from the ref what did you make of it buddy yeah there's there's quotes post game where um Ranieri's like um everybody told the referee he'd got the wrong man even the, <laughs> the even the even uh Hasselbank was like you got the wrong man but um sharing everybody got involved and you can quite clearly see that they're telling him but he, he just wouldn't listen and yeah you know a lot of things when you go back when you go back and look VAR would have sorted quite a few things out back then and it would have been probably quite useful yeah the Sheringham same, gets a yellow after mm. Melchior leaves the pitch uh, sorry after Hasselbank oh god now I've done it after Hasselbank <laughs> leaves the pitch and like I wasn't sure and I'm still not sure if Sheringham gets the yellow for his like initial involvement in sort of the scuffle or if he gets a yellow card for protesting too much that yeah. he's sent off the wrong player mm, yeah I mean, when you go back and watch it when people who listen to this go back and watch it you have to watch Tariko throughout he's such such a sly little man he's He's a little shithouse isn't he he's moving around the edge of the circle just kind of clipping people's ears trying to spark a reaction he's He's proper. He's a right little dirty little guy. He um, is so yes. funny. I, I, yeah. He was. Uh, he wasn't the best player in the world. We signed him from Ipswich, and mm. he was quite kind of a functional player. But he was like, <laughs> he was our nineties shithouse, Basically, <laughs> he was. He was our nineties yeah. Lamella. Um, he was Argentinian. Or he is Argentinian. Yeah. Uh, Argentine to Tottenham, mate. It's a good combination. Yeah, so. absolutely, absolutely. And he's he's got a, a good head of hair on him as well, hasn't he? His nickname was Treacle. Uh, Treacle. Really? Yeah, because uh, a lot of Spurs fans couldn't say his name so they called him Treacle instead. <laughs> Jesus. I think I think uh, his like fellow pros called him Tano but uh, yeah he was Treacle in the stands uh, so we then we then get our fourth goal and the goal scorer is Simon Davis who is really young at this point he's he's not I mean he's probably been with us for a year he joined us from Peterborough um, young sort of exciting Welsh winger who's playing wing back in this game which isn't his natural position by any stretch but he does a really good job throughout and Ron Atkinson is loving Davis's performance he's like constantly 
talking him up, saying what a threat he is, and he kind of gets his reward for his hard work. It's a it's a kind of nice bit of tigerish play, I would say, by Everson, who has a a low key impressive match here. Um, mm. A switch of play from Anderton, and then Davis. It's kind of an unlikely shot, really. He, he's not got a great deal of the goal to aim at, but he kind of, from an angle you wouldn't expect, he picks out the near post. And again, perhaps there's more Kudicini could do to keep it out, but it's a very precise finish, Bardi. Yeah, and it's um, just a, just another example just how eager they were. I mean, we're against 10 men. We're 4-2 up on aggregate, so it's going to take a proper disaster for us not to win this. But once again, it's Anderton picking the ball up in the middle and just like opening the whole pitch up and just inviting um, Davies to get forward. And Davies, he took the shot and I, I, I didn't remember this goal. I remember the feeling of it. I was I was at university watching this, but um, even watching it now, the, where it pings off the post, it's, it's, a, it's a nice feeling. Absolutely. So uh, 4-0 in this game, we're looking like we're going to go through. So we start making some subs and who comes on? Sergei Rebrov. Mm. Remember him? Uh, failed striker signing, I would say. So he's he's a Ukrainian striker that was signed for a huge fee at the time. I think it was eleven million. Body was that is that right? Yeah, I, I remember vividly that when he signed, it was it was going to win us the league because yeah. his partnership with um, with Shevchenko at, at Kiev was something that back in back in the early days of the Champions League, where football wasn't as saturated it is, as it is now, and you didn't know players until they just appeared on ITV, and those two made a, an incredible combination and. When we signed one of them, we thought we'd really signed the better of the two, but obviously we didn't. Sheva was um, was the proper player. Rebrov, he did okay. He had his moments, but he wasn't half the player Shevchenko was. Absolutely. Uh, the other man that comes on is Oyvind Leonardson. So Leonardson was an interesting player. He uh, made his name in the Premier League with Wimbledon, as did Chris Perry, as did Ben Thatcher, who was also on our books at the time. So w- Wimbledon had a couple of really good seasons, and, and then their team kind of got picked apart by other clubs. Leonardson mm. originally went to Liverpool. It didn't quite work out for him there, so he joined Spurs. And he was okay for Spurs. He was nothing special. I'd say he was more of a, a squad player. Uh, so, yeah, he ca- he came on for Poyet, <coughs> who goes absolutely insane when he gets substituted. He's like jumping around <laughs> the pitch. <laughs> Uh, windmilling and the fans are loving it uh, Rebrov comes on for Everson and after like four minutes Leonardson sets up Rebrov for a fairly simple finish to make it 5-0 and our fans are singing 1-0 to the substitutes which I thought was fantastic <laughs> Nathan, what did you make of what did you make of uh, those subs? Did you do you remember either of those players? Uh, sort of, I'm aware of Red Broth on sort of uh, like he was used as a tool to like e- explore Soldado. Essentially, he was he's yeah famous for his for, for his failure. And I I'd heard the sort of what Bardi explained the sort of the Shevchenko story, mm. and my dad repeated it to me again after we watched the match, where he said, <laughs> "Yeah, we we thought we'd signed, you know, or we we." So I went back and I looked at Rebrov. Apparently, he still holds the the record for most goals scored ever in the Ukrainian league right, to okay. this day. So yeah, yeah, he had some pedigree. It just did not work out for him at Spurs at all. He just didn't look physically up to the demands of the Premier League, to be honest. And it was no, it was a so. bit like Soldado in the way that after sort of ten fifteen games, he just saw his head drop and he mm. lost all confidence in himself, and those around him lost confidence in him. It was very similar in, in many ways in the way it panned out. 
Um, so at this point in, in the match, Ron Atkinson's picking his man of the match, and he says Sherwood and Sheringham have given 10 out of 10 performances, so Anderton, who's won this, must have given an 11 out of 10. And <laughs> it's it's hard to disagree. Anderton is absolutely sensational, and equally, Sherwood and Sheringham put in immaculate performances too, so lo- just lovely to see from, from Spurs. Uh, Chelsea get one back, though. They'd made a sub with Mikel Forsell, the Finnish, young Finnish striker, coming on, and he scores an absolute banger it's a really nice finish on his left foot which I had totally forgotten about I, I was looking forward to seeing where their consolation came from in some ways because I couldn't mm. remember it at all it's, it's a great finish Bardi yeah and it's the first time Chelsea actually have a player with a bit of pace and a bit of kind of um, bit of direction to them and you could see he, he gets the ball he turns and all of a sudden the Spurs back line looks like the Spurs back line from that time where they all of a sudden they're, they're terrified and he, he drives a goal and he buries it and he, he was a highly thought of prospect who was who should have had a great um a great game or should have had a great professional career but it didn't quite work for him it worked for him because he's i think he was naturally right footed and that was off his weaker foot it was a lovely finish from a finish <laughs> sorry <laughs> <That's>, i apologize <laughs> oh dear get out um so i mean yeah. I, i've i've played i've laid my cards clearly on the table in terms of man mm. of the match but nathan which players impressed you the most who did you who stood out to you yeah no it's, uh, the the three s's uh absolutely definitely uh oh hang on no that's not right is it jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> sick note sick note sure yes yeah. s sure for was. sick note that is that's exactly it that's what i was thinking s for sick note <laughs> but if i had to pick one it would be Sherwood. I was just so complete. I know we've already done this, but I was so just absolutely blown away by like his um, first time passing, yep. receiving the ball under pressure, yep. interpretation of space, uh, passing with his interceptions. Like I, I knew that Sher- I didn't think that Sherwood was a crap player. Right, I, I understood that he was a a league winner. Um, but I guess I sort of assumed that he was like a box to box. Um, hard-working and a bit of a bruiser, but he was like a really cultured footballer yeah, absolutely. Who, who, at least in this game, played as a as a number six. And I think in a lot of ways was before his time. Yeah, I agree. High footballing IQ, had good understanding of uh, the roles of everyone in the team and knew where he, like his place in the structure and just played very sensibly, cautiously, but also playing forward when, when it needed to go forward. Um, and what works so well for him is having a player like Anderson alongside him who has just got the most phenomenal passing range. And it really sort of made me uh, long for a quality quality passer in, in midfield um uh-huh. I, yeah it's it's hard to sort of think back and think of many better passes of the ball in midfield in recent years of an anderton i'd say carrick was up there but he wasn't as ambitious yeah. with his passing um, i was gonna say i was gonna say that anderton's performance reminded me of though that that season we had carrick in midfield where he not not very combative but just always putting a toe in and yeah. coming away with the ball opening up play uh yeah i i I made a note of that to say that he did remind me a lot of kind of Spurs Carrick. Mm, lovely to watch uh, that that midfield combination of Sherwood and, and Anderson. I thought Poyet to a lesser degree, but he he as Bardi says earlier, he's kind of um, worth his weight for these direct running into the box. He just he, mm. he he helps with the overloads, which is a crucial part of Hoddle's system. Um, so Nathan, what else stood out to you about this sort of this three five two this performance from Spurs? What's Hoddle trying to do? Do you think <laughs> it's really hard to know how much is like 
things that Hoddle saw and like Hoddle's intention and like how he might have predicted that Chelsea would approach the game watching just this one game on its own yeah. like it really worked out in our favour because we were combative in midfield we used great use of uh, Teddy's movement and his aerial ability and um, and the wing backs arriving late just completely undid Chelsea and it's hard, it's really it's hard to know like whether that is something that Hoddle in any way saw of whether he was just someone who liked a back three because I don't know uh, he likes playing in the back three as a player or whatever mm. um, so maybe it's something I need to go away and, and watch some more games of to sort of get more of an impression but like I, I guess you could say well we didn't then change our shape after Chelsea changed their shape so um, maybe there's there's something in there but I don't know it, it's, it's hard to say and I, I think we should probably say a little bit more about Teddy Sheringham uh, before before we close up close out because I think he's 35 or 36 in this game he's, wow. in, he's in his second spell at Spurs he was my favorite player uh, when I was growing up I just absolutely adored him and this was a reminder of why he's just so classy so elegant every pass is so precise uh he you feel like he finesses everything he does um even when he doesn't need to necessarily but he's also really really good in the air he wins a lot more than you'd expect he, i mean he's, he's not short by any stretch he's probably six mm. foot six foot one something like that but he wins more than you'd expect definitely um he's a handful the way he drops off into that pocket of space is is fantastic because he draws out defenders with him and he's got a lovely awareness and appreciation of his teammates i mean what a player he was bardy yeah, he was, and I think I think in everything we're forgetting the magnitude of this this victory for Tottenham because we hadn't beaten Chelsea. We seem to go on these kind of long runs without beating them it, since 1990. So it'd been 12 years since we'd beaten them. So um, the, it was it was a massive performance all round and a, quite a monumental one. But unfortunately, it. It, it didn't lead anywhere for, mm. for Hoddle and for Tottenham. And that that's, that will always be a, a big shame. A big shame that this result, even as amazing as it is and great as it is to go and watch, that it's always t- there's a little bit of a tinge when I when I see it now. Do you have any thoughts on why that might be? Well, we lost the final. <laughs> no, why, why it never <laughs> quite worked out for Hoddle Spurs? I just think his the whole principle of relying on older players that they were never going to get any better they were never going to improve and the system whatever system he played it wasn't something that they that they could carry on and build upon it was always going to be one match to the next match kind of getting through and getting through the results and I think that that ultimately was the the undoing of Spurs and perhaps what we've seen after that under under Levy is Spurs adopting a kind of policy to go for younger players and try and build up and build something that is longer lasting rather rather than going for the quick fix, which is a lot of these signings that Hoddle made were. Lovely stuff. I hope you've enjoyed that uh, throwback analysis of Tottenham 5, Chelsea 1 from 2002. Uh, what I will do is I'll put the uh, YouTube link in the show notes. So if you fancy keeping yourself occupied one evening during isolation with a wonderful Spursy night at a, mm. a cavernous old White Hart Lane where the noise is just tremendous. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't recommend this enough. As I said, I had uh, very little expectations for this. I thought, I thought it was going to be a chore to watch, but I loved every second. So, Bardi, thank you. It's uh, It's been a pleasure. It's also worth it to um, see Daniel Levy sat next to Glenn Hoddle and Levy's got, not I wouldn't call it a full head of hair, but it's, it's, um, it's a smattering of hair <laughs> upon, his, upon his head. Nice, nice. Sweet. All right, boys. Take care of yourselves in these uh, these challenging times. Bye, Rindu. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. 
Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Barney for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindner. Do check him out, he's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.